You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. Gav is going to bring the word uh, with us or for us today. If we can extend our hands, we'll pray for him and uh, we will sit ready to hear what God has put on his heart. So, Lord, we just thank you for this man. Uh, We thank God for the father that he is, the husband that he is, the man of God that he is, Lord. Lord, I pray, God, that his life um, would be an example to each and every one of us, Lord. Um, And uh, we just pray, God, that you would uh, put the words in his heart, in his mouth, God, that is going to uplift and encourage today. I pray, God, that you would remove any fear, any doubts, any worries, God. And he would just uh, submit, God, what he's saying to you and that uh, we would receive it, God, with open ears and an open heart. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... um, Yes, I work for a football club, and I'm wearing the jersey not because I support them seven days in a week. My wife will, my wife will say otherwise because I've got too much gear at the house, but the preach is about sports, and so that's why I was like, I need to wear something sports-related, so Sam likes that. So We're going to take a, a journey through one character's uh, life through the Bible, um, Josh asked, hey, can you give me the scriptures that you're going to read out of? I was like, yeah, it's about eight chapters of Genesis. <laughs> we're not reading eight chapters of Genesis, but it is the life of Abraham. Um, and we're going to kind of go through his life and take some lessons from there. And I remember I've worked in some interesting places, one of them being uh, Bangladesh. Um, so anyone doesn't know where Bangladesh is, it's uh, used formerly... East Pakistan, so you get India, that's kind of like that. Then you get Pakistan on one side, and then Bangladesh is on the other. So I worked there. And almost one of the first days that I worked there, we went to the training facility, and the academy kids were there, and they were, it's not baseball, but I'm going to call it baseball, just so everyone here understands. So we were at the training facility, and this one, maybe he was 17 years old, he was pitching. It's not called pitching, but let's just... They all agree that you understand baseball pitching. And he pitched so similar to like a legendary Australian pitcher. I was like, that's really weird. This 17-year-old kid from Bangladesh has never met this guy, never got an official training from him. But when you spoke to him, he's like, he's my idol. And I just saw what he did and I did what I saw. So he just looked at his mechanics and how he, and it was like for like. And so my heart this morning is that we're not all going to be pitching, but that we're going to hear and then we're going to do what we hear. Just like that kid, 17 years old in Bangladesh, saw and did, we're going to hear and do. So that's my heart. Okay. I'm not taking these on and off. So you guys are all blurry, but this is perfectly in uh, Otherwise, we're going to do this the whole time. So last week, Steve was our personal trainer. And then he admitted that he's tired, so I think that he needs to train a little harder. (laughs) He encouraged us to run, although he openly admitted to not liking running himself. You see, I did watch it online, even though I was at work. And He said he took us through what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. Maybe not all. I work with a lot of athletes, so. 
But he says here, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize, but this prize will fade away. You do it for an eternal prize. So run with purpose in every step. Now, like Steve, Steve said, like sports is a huge part of his life. He gets to watch a lot of sports because God speaks to him through sports. I've never used that line on my wife, but I'm certainly going to try that. Feel <laughs> free to use it. Um, so I've been working in pro sports. It's probably 16, 17 years now. Um, I love my job. I love what I do. And there are very fond memories of great wins. There are memories of losses. Uh, there are memories of ending the season as champions, and there are seasons where you were just not champions or you were right the way down at the bottom of the log. So I've had it all, I've seen it all in terms of uh, wins and losses. And even when we were champions and we were crowned at the end of the season champions, the losses that were part of that season really faded away. They didn't really count for much. And you just, you focused on the prize. Um, and there was not a single season where we won every single game. And I'm sure that there are some leagues or some teams that have gone like unbeaten for an entire season and maybe even multiple seasons. At least in my career uh, working in pro sports, there's been losses and maybe consistent performances, winning when you needed to win, uh, coming back from wins or coming back from losses in a good way kind of made you consistently perform and you became champions at the end, but with a couple of losses along the way. So this morning, I want to take that season analogy and I want to apply it to Abraham's life. And we're going to move through Genesis pretty quickly. If you'd like to follow, we are jumping through scriptures really quickly, hence why we're not even putting it on. I'd encourage you to take some time. It starts in Genesis 12 and goes all the way through into Genesis 21, 22. You could take your time, and it really gives an accurate account of this guy called the father of faith, um, and he's mentioned several times, even in the New Testament. So, we, I'm going to say Abraham, but we are going to realize that he has a name change, but let's start with Abraham. Abraham is first appears in the Bible in Genesis 11:27. This is the account of Terah a descendant of Noah's son, Shem. Terah was the father of Abraham, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. So in Genesis, they're kind of just giving a little bit of the genealogy because there are a number of individuals that were like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I've heard about Lot. Um, I've heard about Noah. Where does this all kind of line up? But Haran died in Ur, so one of... Uh, Terah's sons, uh, one of Abram's brothers, died in Ur, the land of his birth, where his father Terah was still living. So in the, where they had grown up, where he was born, he passed away. He had two sons remaining. Uh, meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah. Ah, okay, maybe you recognize the uh, named Sarah as well, and she's going to play an integral part in this uh, season. But Sarah was unable to become pregnant and had no children. So this is the introduction of Abram, where fits in really early in the uh, book of Genesis. So there are going to be, I'm going to call them 
games, so matches. Uh, the first match is the call of Abram. So in uh, Genesis 12, verses 1, it's the call of Abram. This is the first game that we're going to play in the season. Okay? Um, I come from an incredibly musical family and extended family. Two of them were up here. My wife's musical. Uh, my son's a musical. And yeah, one at the back over there. And I get lost in the conversations because at dinner table when they start talking about bridges and choruses and this and that, I'm like, I have no clue what you guys are talking about. It's my turn because now it's just all about sports and now maybe they're not going to know, like, what do you mean? It's a match, but it's a game. It's a person. It's a guy's life. Anyway, match one. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Now, what you are going to realize is, if you're following and reading in text, I am going to just skip portions, because otherwise we will literally be here for a whole season. Okay? It will be a, feel like a baseball season, 180-something or another games. So we are going to skip into certain portions, because I don't believe that I'm overlooking text. I just believe that the point that God laid on my heart to bring across to you guys is found within the scriptures that I'm going to read. But feel free to read all of them at your leisure. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all of his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed to the land of Canaan. So it's the same as me saying, hey, Angie, God said to me, we're leaving the country and we're going somewhere else. Don't know where, but we're going. And Angie going, really? Like, okay, let's go. And that's it. So Abram departed at the, as the Lord had instructed. When they arrived in Canaan, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land to your descendants, to you and your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord, who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Final whistle, end of the game. I call that a win, okay? I call it a win. Why do I call it a win? There's obedience, all right? He says, leave, what you, leave your, the land of your birth and go. There is trust. Like, all right, God, you're not telling me everything that you're asking me to do, but I'm going to trust you. In the process, he also builds two altars, and he dedicates those to the Lord, and he worships the Lord. So he's like, I'm going to just abandon what I know, and I'm going to trust in God, and I'm going to be obedient. So that's one win. Anyone can uh, argue that it's not a win, but it's a win. All right, game two, or match two. Abram and Sarah in Egypt. So this is still in Genesis 12. It uh, starts at verse 10. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarah, look, you are a very beautiful woman. Good opening line to your wife. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. 
then we will have then we will have her so please tell them you are my sister they will spare my life and treat us well because of their interest in you and sure enough when abram arrived in egypt someone noticed sarah's beauty when the palace officials saw her they sang her praises to pharaoh their king and sarah was taken into his palace but the lord sent terrible plagues upon pharaoh and his household because of sarah abram's wife so pharaoh summoned abram and accused him sharply what have you done to me he demanded why did you tell me she was your sister or why did you tell me she was your not why did you not tell me she was your wife why did you say she's my sister and allow me to take her as my wife now then here is your wife take her and get out of here i count that as a loss and i count it as a loss because i understand go right into the beginning severe famine struck so he's coming out of a famine right he's tired he's weak he's weary he's probably even disappointed i'm guessing when the famine struck abram was like god uh, bring relief bring rain bring something that's going to break this uh, famine and save my family save my livestock nothing came and so he was forced to go down south but in his weakness he lied about sarah to actually just save his own butt right he was like told him you're my sister so that they don't kill me but we still see god's grace in this story we still see that even though it's a loss god steps in because honestly pharaoh could have just gone you know what you lied to me all these plagues here we go chop your head off i mean i was going to chop your head off because you your wife's beautiful and you're married to her so I'm going to kill you in any case so God's grace allowed uh him still to walk away with his life and actually walk away blessed with possessions Pharaoh's like get out of here take all these things so score is 1-1 all right game 3 of the series Abram and Lot separate this is Genesis 13 starts from chapter 1 verse 1 sir So Abram left Egypt, I'm pretty sure he left really quickly, and traveled north into the Negev, along with his wife and Lot and all they owned. And they continued traveling by stages towards Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ar, where they had camped before. So that stood out to me, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar. and there he worshiped the lord again so side note uh we have a professional athlete in our midst as well and he will know just like i know after a loss it's like all right you need to regroup you need to focus we lost against vancouver we played the galaxy 2 days ago vancouver was probably on paper one of the easier games to win and we lost it and So that whole week was just like refocus, regather. What did we do before that brought us success? What did we uh how did we structure things? What were we focusing on? And so here Abram he goes back to where he had camped before. He this was the same place where he had built an altar and there he worshiped the Lord again. So he brought some of those principles even of professional sports and probably we took it from Abram, but that he went and refocused himself. 
Lot was, Lot who was traveling with Abram had also become very wealthy with flocks and sheep and goats, herds of cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all of their flocks and their herds. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen and, of Lot and Abram. Finally, Abram said to Lot, you know what, enough, enough's enough. Let this dispute not become between us. Um, you, you choose a direction. Whatever direction you go, I'll go in the opposite way. There wasn't a, a coin toss. There wasn't like rock, paper, scissors. There wasn't an arm wrestle. And if you kind of read a little bit more, it almost seems as though Lot got the better choice. He's like, oh, I get to choose first. Let's have a look. Oh, it's dry on this side. There's water on this side. You know what? I'm going to go this side. Abram's like, whatever side you go, I'll go in the opposite direction. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can in every direction, north, south, east, and west. I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved camp. Pack it up again. Abram moved camp to Hebron and settled near an oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar. End of the game. I call it a win. It's a win because he trusted in the Lord again. He gave Lot first choice where he's like, ooh, I've got cattle, I've got uh, flocks, they need water, they need shade, they need the good land. Maybe I should kind of like, hey, I'm, you're my nephew. I get to choose seniority, right? I get first vote. No, he gave, so he trusted in God that he was going to be blessed in the decision that he made. There was obedience. Again, God said, go walk. Walk through the entire land that I give you. Lord, I just got here. I just camped. Can't we just stay here? I'll look. I'll send some scouts out. They'll go and have a look at the land. No, he says, go into the land. And what did he do? He moved his camp. And he built another altar. So he dedicated it again to God. So a win. So we're now two to one. We're two wins. We're one loss. What would that be? Game four. Um, Abram rescues Lot. Long piece of uh, scripture. Again, I'm only taking out the highlights which will build the picture for us. About this time, war broke out in the region. Kings fighting kings, alliances, more kings versus less kings. Uh, the battle is over. The victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supplies. They also captured Lot. Remember, Lot is the nephew of Abram, who lived in Sodom and carried off everything he owned. But one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abram. So imagine, separated, Lot, Abram, I've got my thing, you've got your thing. He gets caught in a war, gets pulled away, all of his possessions, one of his men escapes, goes and finds Abraham, hey, your nephew's been captured and all his possessions are gone. When Abraham heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued the army until he caught up to them. There he divided his men and attacked during the night. The army fled, but Abraham chased them as far as Hobay, 
north of Damascus. Abram recovered all the goods that were, had been taken and he brought back his nephew Lot and all the possessions and all the men and the women that were captive. So these are kings. Kings have armies. There are multiple kings. Abram is like, he gets the news, hey, your, your uh, nephew has been captured. I see Abram as like a herdsman. It's a big family. There are 318 trained men. I dug a little deeper. I'm like, honestly, I don't think that they were trained in like warfare and army and maybe as herdsmen. And he's like, you know what? Abandon, let's go. Injustice, I'm going. I'm going after my uh, nephew Lot. Um, so he's standing up for his teammates, right? In a game, it's at least in team sports, it's like it's not won by a single person, but it's like if your teammate gets knocked over a little rough, yeah, maybe you're going to go and stand up next to the guy that knocked him over and go like, hey, what's up? What, what you doing? That's what you'd hope, that a teammate would come and stand up for you, right? He's also got... Abram also displays faith in this moment because he goes back to the original promise that's in... Genesis 12, verse 3, where it says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. So Abram's like, I'm not an army. I'm going to go up against an army. God, you promised that you're going to bless me and you're going to bless others that bless me and then you're going to uh, curse those that treat me with contempt. So, yeah, stood up for his nephew. It's a win, 3-1. Game five little momentum going here. Hey, Cal, like 3-1, okay, getting a little uh, assured in ourselves. The promise of God, Genesis 15. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, for I will protect you and reward, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't have a son? Since you've given me no son, Eliza of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. We've kind of heard and read that he's a pretty wealthy family. He has flocks of sheep. He has cattle. He has 318 trained men in his, uh, that have been born into his family. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said, look, look into the sky and count the number of stars. This is how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So he's already pretty old. Uh, he's concerned about his, who's going to inherit all his wealth and his possessions? Oh, Lord, it's going to, you've blessed me so much, but. So there's almost a little, like, attitude here of, like, you've blessed me so much, but what does it really count for because I don't have a son um, that can inherit it? It's not my own family. And God's going, like, no, here we go. You're going to have a son. It's going to be your heir. Look to the skies. Believe that you're going to have all these descendants. And it says, Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted this as righteous because of his faith. So that's a win. For sure, it's a win. Although there's a little cheekiness in there, he wins because he has the faith and 
it says there, the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So that's three wins in a row. That's like, go team Abram, right? We've got good momentum. Season started off well. We're at 4-1. Like, come on, what can go wrong? Let's just keep going. We've got this. So game six, taking matters into his own hands. In Genesis 16, we read, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear ch- uh, children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. It's almost like a little bit of a blame. The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have a child through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. That happened 10 years after they'd settled in Canaan. So The whole story in Abram's life is periods of he's 75, then he's 99. So there's a lot of time in between. And like we're, I even, I have two boys. They're amazing. I love them to bits. But Amazon is the the death of patience because it's like order now within the next two hours and you receive this tomorrow. Uh, And then it doesn't arrive tomorrow and we're like, oh my word, what's going on? The heavens are going to fall. God gives us Abram a promise, and 10 years later, still nothing's happening. He's like, well, surely, you know what? Um, the guy just didn't read the directions on the little address card, and so I need to take matters into my own hand. And still, the whole idea of like, you know what? Just have a child with the uh, servant is taking matters into your own hand. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. Then Sarah said to Hagar, this is all your fault. So I love the blame now that comes between you. Because Sarah says, yeah, he has an idea. He accepts the proposal. Now things go wrong. And now there's a little bit of blame kind of coming in between them. Then Sarah said to Abram, this is your fault. I put my servant in your arms. But now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. Abram replies, whoa, 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 hang on. Look, she's your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. So Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Uh, Hagar, so Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So this is out and out a loss, right? I think almost we're at 4-1. We got a little too comfortable. We got a little complete. Uh, yeah, too comfortable. We thought that the next game's going to be easy. I think that there are a lot of examples in our own life of that. Playing sports, not playing sports. When things are going so well with God and we've gone from victory to victory, we kind of get like a little armchair complacent and the next challenge comes along. And at that moment, the win would have been like, no, 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 hang on. God promised us that he will bless us with a son and the son will be our heir. I... Your proposal is a bad proposal, declined, not going to happen. That would have turned that into a win. But that impatience came in just as for us, if God has promised us something, we're like, how long do I need to wait? Let me take it into my own hands. Like, God, I'm waiting for a job. You've promised me um, a job and it's, you've told me that it's going to be here, but here's an opportunity. Let me take this opportunity. 
and I'm going to take it out of my own hands or put it in my own hands. So taking his eyes off of God and onto his situation. In the text, it talks about, I'm getting older. I'm concerned about who will inherit the fortune. I'd better do something about it. So it's that turning an inward eye of, I'm going to look upon myself and my situation, and I'm going to kind of nasal gaze. I need to do something about it. Let me, let me take my hands. Or, God, you, you don't really have it under control. So we're at 4-2. We're still up. Name changes. This happens in Genesis 17. It's 13 years later these name changes happen. I love how patient God is because it's like, how much detail do I need to give you of the promise? And he just keeps in the life of Abram, just keeps giving more and more detail of like, all right, and we'll read about it and it's going to come. I love his patience versus our own impatience. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down to the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. But wow, very specific. And we're going to change your name on that. In the same chapter, Sarah's name is changed. Sarah is Sarah. Then God came, said to Abram, regarding Sarah, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarah, for now her name will be, I'm going to say Sarah. I will bless her and give you a son from her. Like how much more detail do you want? I will give you a son from her. Yes, you took matters into your own hand. All right, let me become even more specific. So it's like this whole parenting implied um, I told you to clean your room. Yeah, but you didn't tell me when to clean my room. So it's like, how much detail do you actually have to? So God's like, all right, let's be as specific as I can. And I will bless you and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abram bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself. Abram bowed down to the ground and then he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. Abram said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, no. Sarah, your wife, will give, you, give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him. So Abraham's like, thank you, Lord. Fall down, kind of, I don't really believe what he's saying because it sounds so outrageous. Like, how is it possible? All right, let me try and, like, encourage God. Like, hey, God, maybe you can have this covenant come through my son, uh, Ishmael. God's like, no, it's going to come, and I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. When do I need to clean my room? Now. 
All right, so God's like, I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. It's going to come from Sarah. I'm going to give you a son. It's going to come from Sarah, and it's going to come within the next year. It's like literally he's becoming more and more specific so that there's almost no room for error. On that very day, Abram took his son Ishmael and every male in his household, including those born there and those he had bought. Then he circumcised them just as God had told him. So this I count as a win, but I count it as a just. I count it as a buzzer shot, right? The buzzer's gone, shot's taken, and the scores were tied, and you just got it in because it's got this like, all right, there's a bit of disbelief, so I probably could have ruled him as a loss on that, but he was obedient again. He then took himself, his son, and every male, and he was like, you know what, guys, I've got a team-building activity here. It's called obedience, and we're going to be obedient to God, and God says that we need to be circumcised. <laughs> so, obedience wins the day again. Score is 5-2. The promise of God to Sarah. In Genesis 18, we read, The Lord appeared again to Abram near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abram was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the hottest part of the day. He took up, or he looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of the tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you're honored your servant with your visits, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abram replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to the conversation from the tent. Abram and Sarah were both very old at this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself. How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? This I count as a draw. There's, there's no result in here. Uh, it, uh, Abraham is uh, enthusiastic. He's like, welcome, come. Uh, my Lord, if it pleases me, let me serve you. And the kind of narrative of the chapter kind of directs towards Sarah and giving, again, specific details. About this time next year, your wife is going to have a son. Sarah, in her own disbelief, laughs and goes like, how's it possible? The odds are against us. My husband's too old. I'm too old. It's not going to happen. So it's a, non a non-result. It's a draw. But it was important to include it because I, I believe that God was giving all these promises to Abraham, and it doesn't really talk about him directly uh, speaking about Sarah or to Sarah. And so she was, he knew that she was in the tent. He knew that she could hear. And I believe that God didn't want her to get always the information through Abraham, but actually hear it for herself. Genesis 18 we have a new, we're on game eight. So Abram intercedes for Sodom. A long chapter. I'm only going to read a few verses. 
So the Lord said to Abram, I have heard a great outcry for Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I am going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abram. Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? And if you go into more details and you read it further, it's like, if you find 50 righteous, if you find 40, 30, and it comes all the way down to, to 10, and he's literally debating with God saying, please, my nephew Lot and his family are in Sodom. I want to rescue them again. So a little different in the rescuing. He's not going to go and save him from being captured by a king. Uh, end result is, yes, Lot is uh, rescued and spared. And I see here again one of those moments of he's standing up for a teammate. He's pleading with God. He's saying, God, this is family. You said in that original promise, you will bless those that bless me. So Lot is part of that blessing. Save him. Spare his life. So that's a 6-2 for us. Um, Abram deceives, and I'm going to butcher this name. Abram, Abraham deceives Abi. Melesh. Let's call him Abi Melesh for today. Genesis 20. Abraham moved south to the Nagir and lived for a while between Kadesh and Shur. And then he moved on to Gerar. While living there as a foreigner, Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, she is my sister. Bad habits, right? Old habits die hard. Like, dude, you tried this one before. Didn't work. And now you're pulling it out again. So the king sent for Sarah, and he brought her to him at his palace. But that night, God gave him a dream and told him, You are a dead man, for the woman you have taken is already married. So this is the second time that he's deceived. First it was Pharaoh, and now it's this king, in saying, This is my sister, again to save his butt. So... Abimelech got up early the next morning and quickly called all of his servants together. When he told them what had happened, the men were terrified. Then he called Abraham, Abraham, what have you done to us? He demanded. What crime have I committed that deserves treatment like this, making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin? No one should ever do what you have done. Whatever possessed you to do such a thing? So we've, we, we've experienced it once before. He's done this. Uh, he does it again. Uh, the king, uh, God gives him a dream going, do not touch her. She is already married. Uh, he confronts Abraham and goes like, get out of here. Again, he leaves. But it's a loss. He kind of took his eyes off God's promise again. Of all the things that God has done, he's like, does he not think God can spare him? He's just spared Lot from absolute destruction, but God can't spare his own life because of the beauty of his wife. The birth of Isaac. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. I love the word, exactly what he has promised. Not just what he had promised, but exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham at his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. 
So when, let, let's take this as a side note. When God says something's going to happen at a specific time, you can pretty much guarantee exactly as it is promised, it's going to happen. And Abraham named his son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. This falls into, straight into Abraham's faith is tested. So in Genesis 22, and this is where we pretty much come to land. Sometime later, so we've, how much later? Not too sure. But what I do know is uh, Isaac is born and he is also carrying some of the supplies up the mountain. So it's not, he's not just that young. It's, I'd like to say 13 years old, but I'm not going to. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith. He said, he called him and said, yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac. Just so that we can be very specific again so that he doesn't go, let's take Ishmael. Whom you love so much and go to the land um, of Moray. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. So it's not like, you know what, God, I'm going to sit on this one for a while. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to fast for a little while. Then I'm going to come back and I'm going to wait for you to confirm it. It's like, this is probably the biggest match of all of them. Take your son that you waited so long that you made some mistakes, but that you were still blessed with, that has come to you, that you have now fathered, because it's not take your newborn child, take him up the hill and go and sacrifice. No, you've gotten a relationship with him. You've, you've gotten excited about, hey, if I pass, here's my heir. God's blessed me and promised, his promises come true. No, the next morning, Abram got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for the burnt offering and set it out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey. So now he's speaking to the two servants. Abraham told his servants, the boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there. And then we will come right back. Now, I love that it says we will worship there and we will come right back. I honestly believe that he did that on purpose, not just like we will worship and I will come back because he knew he's going to go and sacrifice his son. But I, I believe that he had even the faith at that moment, even in this three-day journey going like, oh, Lord, what, like seriously, can we just not end it? Tell me now. Turn around, big joke, not going to happen. You're cool. Like, there it is. All right. It's, it's real time now. We will go worship, but we will return. So I believe that his faith continued in this moment. So his son says to Abraham, we have the firewood, we have the wood. Where's the sheep for the burnt offering? So the son's like, hang on, something is missing here. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. 
Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. Builds everything, ties his son up, is about to sacrifice his son, gets to the there's no turning back moment, and the Lord says, the Lord called out, Abraham, Abraham. So it's like, it's even that moment of like, uh, one of your children's about across the street, you see a car coming. It's not like, hey. it's like with urgency, it's like Abraham, Abraham. It's like, I can imagine that he's got the knife up right here and he's ready to sacrifice his son. And then the Lord with exclamation marks and like double calling his name out, he's like, get the guy's attention before he goes and sacrifices his son. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. So that, that for me is like game seven of this long series. That is, if you now, I'll pull out names and your favorite star, maybe Steph Curry, that's like, Right at, the, right at the end, who do you want to have the ball in their hands to win that final game? And it's like on the edge, it's you want that guy. And that's what Abraham has become. He's become that guy for God where he can say, this guy is the father of faith. It's interesting that he didn't say it's a man of faith, but it's rather a father of faith. So he birthed faith out of a promise he raised that faith up through all these trials and stops and starts and wins and losses. And it got all the way to the end where it's like, now I know you fear, the, you fear me, the Lord, and that you will sacrifice the greatest promise that you had received through this whole journey. And so that's game, set, and match. It's done. Season's over. It ends 7-3. And Abraham is then mentioned in even the New Testament as this... Uh, father of faith. Just as that 17-year-old boy in Bangladesh saw and he did, I'm hoping that looking at the life of Abraham and hearing his trials, his wins, his losses, that we can not just go, hey, nice story about a guy, but that we can identify the similar moments in our own life that we are also, and in the sports analogy, going from game to game in terms of the running race, distance to distance, every step taken. And there were some lessons of obedience, trust, faith, dedication, worshiping God, remembering how to win. Those are literally recipes of how to win. Listening to God, being obedient to Him, honoring Him in what He's doing, and actually taking your hands away from wanting to control the situation. And I think if we can just hear and do some of those principles, I think we're also going to have more wins than losses. There's not a single season that you will go through that will not include losses. Um, and I think losses are important for us to regroup and refocus and kind of put our attention back onto God. But at the end of the season, at the end of the life, exactly what God said that he would do, he did. And I think it's that special relationship that he had with God where he was looking for God. He was asking God, 
like lay out the promise, give me more details of the promise. There was this unity that came out of that relationship. So I just, I want to pray for us and uh, we're going to end it there. So Father God, I just, I believe that you, you laid the, the story of Abraham's life on my heart to, to share to everyone that's here physically and online. And that we would just be reminded about your promises, Father God, that your promises are true and amen, that all you expect from us, Father God, is obedience. All you expect from us is trust. And these are, these are not easy things because even someone that's mentioned in the Bible as the father of faith stumbled and fell, but he got back and went to the next game. He went to the next match. And he learned from his mistakes. He repeated some of his mistakes, but he continued looking for opportunities to be obedient to you, Father God. And so with all of us here, Lord God, I just pray that we would hear some of these, be encouraged by them, that your spirit would speak to our own hearts, Father God, and look to have a look at our situations, but just not look inwardly, but rather continue to look at you, Father God. And if there are promises that are, are dormant and almost feel abandoned, just be encouraged that even in the life of Abraham, it talks about how it came exactly to how God had said. If God has spoken a promise over your life, it is never dead. It is always there and it's always, uh, it's there for us to take hold of, but we have to be an active participant in that process. Father God, I pray that you'd bless the rest of our day, that you would uh, encourage us, Father God, through this, uh, this passage of uh, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, of how true you are to your promises. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.